Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. How is Lent going for you, my brothers and sisters? If you're anything like me, you probably had high hopes for Lent when I last spoke to you on Ash Wednesday. And if you're anything like me, maybe now, just a little more than a couple of weeks into Lent, you may feel like you're failing to live up to your hopes, to the promises you made to yourself and to God to make this one of the best Lenten seasons you've ever had. If you aren't feeling that way and instead are having a perfect Lent, then just as our Lord came to save not the righteous but sinners, you can sit back and relax for a few minutes. However, for the rest of us, and by us I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to all of you, for the rest of us who need to, in the timeless words of Emerald Lagasse, need to kick it up a notch, pay attention for the next few minutes. Today we hear the story of the Transfiguration, a story so important that three of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, directly record the event. St. Peter, in his second epistle, directly references it. And it's been suggested that St. John's Gospel alludes to it in the prologue of his Gospel that we read nearly each and every week at the end of the service, when John says, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Transfiguration is so important that we not only read this pericope on the feast itself, but today on the second Sunday of Lent. The Transfiguration is important. It's one of the many theophanies in the life of Christ when we see the divinity of Christ so clearly highlighted. Today, I want to focus on the other people in the story, especially on three people who failed to live up to their promise and what it means for you and me. The first and most obvious failure is St. Peter. As is almost always the case, St. Peter, here on the Mount of Transfiguration, is putting his foot in his mouth. He's so overtaken by the events that he doesn't know what to say. So he says he'll build some tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now this is not quite as silly as it sounds, though, right? Why? Because by Peter saying he's going to build these tabernacles for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, we know that the Transfiguration takes place at a time of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a joyful fall harvest feast for the Jews that begins five days after the Day of Atonement. During the Feast of Booths, meals are eaten and many sleep in the temporary shelters that are built just for the feast and then torn down afterwards, sacramentally remembering both the agricultural connection of staying in the fields during the harvest and the wandering in the desert for 40 years where the Israelites lived in temporary shelters. If you pay attention, you will see these booths sometime in late September or October outside of Jewish synagogues and homes. Anyway, we see here that Peter, as usual, is ready to please. Were you ready to please our Lord just a couple of weeks too? Remember when I talked a couple of weeks ago about St. Peter trying to protect our Lord and he got the rebuke from our Lord to get behind me, Satan? Remember when St. Peter said he was willing to die for our Lord and what he was doing just a short time later? 
denying him three times on the eve of his death? How about you? Are you getting in God's way? Are you denying the Lord? Guess what? So did St. Peter. And what is the rest of the story? Well, Jesus met Peter on a shore and restored him. Jesus made him the leader of the apostles. Even after all of that, Jesus forgave him. And Peter took up his cross. Peter died a martyr's death. Peter is Saint Peter, Saint Peter. And my brothers and sisters, whatever is going on right now, even if you failed miserably again, Glenn started the way you planned, our Lord loves you too. He forgives you. He wants you to get back up and to keep going, not to return to fishing, not to return to your old life, but to the new life in him, just like St. Peter. Next, to turn to Elijah. You may think of Elijah as one of the greatest of the prophets, and indeed he was, but he also failed. St. Elijah tried hard to abolish the worship of Baal, rampant in King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's reign. We heard about them in a story today as well in morning prayer. Those two characters, Ahab and Jezebel, not the best folks. And despite his efforts to get rid of Baal worship, he finds himself fleeing fearfully for his own life in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He told her how Elijah had killed all the prophets of Baal with his sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. She said, you can be sure that I will kill you just as I killed the other prophets. I'll do it by this time tomorrow. And if I don't, may the gods punish me greatly. Elijah was afraid, so he ran for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there, and then he traveled for one day into the desert. He came to a small bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed to God that he would die. He said, Lord, I've had enough. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my people of long ago. Is that how you feel today? Had enough? Depressed? Have doubts? Failing to trust in the mission that God put you on? Just wish that God would take you away from the pain? Guess what? Elijah, the great prophet, felt that way too. And yet, what did the Lord do? He sent an angel to give him food and drink. And Elijah kept going until he came to Mount Horeb, where the next person we'll be talking about, Moses, received the Ten Commandments. And there God asked Elijah a question. What are you doing here? And Elijah replied, Lord God who rules over all, I've been very committed to you. The Israelites have turned their backs on your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with their swords. And I'm the only one left. And they are trying to kill me. Do you feel like you're the only one who cares? That you're the only one who's trying and all you're getting is flack for it? So did Elijah. And what did God do? He told him, get out of the cave. I'm going to come pass by. And what happened? He passed by like he did for Moses. But when it was all over, if you remember the story, the powerful wind, the earthquake, the fire, all that came was just a gentle whisper. And the wind, the earthquake, the fire, that's not, none of those were the Lord. The gentle whisper was the Lord. And what did God have to say? The same exact thing he said before. What 
are you doing here? And after all that, God is now intimately engaging with Elijah and God's words, unsurprisingly, were stable as a rock. What are you doing here? And in that special moment, don't you think Elijah would have something better to say? Except, what did he say? Exactly word for word, the same thing he'd already said. The same thing. And of course God expected Elijah to have a better answer, but he didn't. And so came the Lord's rebuke. It might not be obvious, but the Lord's response in the next part of that chapter is a rebuke. Because what he does there is he says to Elijah, pack up your bags. God says that Elijah is going to anoint a new king and his own successor, Elisha. And yet, in that rebuke, there is also love, right? Because Elijah can't come up with anything better to say the Lord knows Elijah is done. He knows Elijah is finite. And God ultimately carries him up in a flaming chariot directly to heaven, to which I say, swing low, sweet chariot. And here, in today's gospel passage, despite Elijah's failure, we know Elijah succeeded. Here today in the transfiguration, Elijah stands talking with our Lord. St. Elijah failed too, and yet we know he succeeded because there he is in the cloud of transfiguration, face to face with our Lord. And finally, there's Moses. Guess what? Also a failure. To me, this critical moment in, is in Numbers chapter 20, when Moses is with the whole congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Zin and Kadesh, his older sister Miriam has just recently died, and there's no water. And guess what? What always happened? The congregation gathers against Moses and Aaron for the umpteenth time, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought us the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron, as they often always did, they went up from the presence of the assembly to the entrance tent of meeting and fell on their faces and interceded for the people despite their complaints to God. And the glory of the Lord did appear to them. And the Lord spoke and said to Moses, take the staff, assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, listen carefully. The Lord said, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So Moses took the staff before the Lord as he commanded him. But what happens next? Moses is at his wit's end. He's fed up, and wouldn't you be? I know I would be. He's sick of it. How many times is he going to have to hear that everyone just wants to go back to Egypt after he had to pony up every ounce of his strength with the help of God to even face Pharaoh? When he went up to Mount Tabor, not once, but twice, to receive the law from God, when he repeatedly interceded for the people so that God would not just turn instantly into a pile of ash. And now his sister's dead and the people won't even let him mourn. They have to complain yet again about how hard it is and he loses it. He doesn't do what the Lord just told him to do, which was just to say to the rock, water come forth. What did he do? He didn't perform an amazing miracle. Instead, he gathers the people together before the rock and he says to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And out of anger, 
he lifts up his hand and strikes that rock with his staff twice. And water does come out, and the congregation drinks, and their livestock too. But the Lord is upset. And he says to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. This is the moment that Aaron and Moses are denied journeying into the promised land. It may seem unfair. After all, Moses had been very faithful, much like Elijah. And yet he will not taste of the milk and honey of the promised land. Our actions have consequences, yes. So I do not want you to completely discount your failures. They do matter. They do have consequences. But, and this is a big but, and as a child of the 80s, I cannot lie, pun intended. But again, who is standing next to our Lord in the most important promised land to which that ancient promised land was denied to Moses millennia before? Moses. Saint Moses. Saints, Peter, Elijah, and Moses, they all let the Lord down. They were all failures. And yet the good news is they are all in the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all pale in comparison to God, whether we be saints like Moses, Elijah, or Peter, or just ordinary sinners. We're finite creatures. And guess what? Our God knows that. He loves you and he loves me and he knows that we are such big failures that he uses failure to help us succeed. God turns failure on its head. St. Luke tells us in his account of the transfiguration that Moses and Elijah were in glorious splendor. Glorious splendor, can you even imagine it? And he further tells us that they spoke about Jesus's departure. They finally saw everything in perspective. How could they be mad? How could they be depressed? Now they got it. They got it all. The day they'd waited for was here. The day our God, our Lord, the very creator of the universe would voluntarily die at the hands of angry men. For what? For you, for me, for Elijah, for Moses, for Peter. To the untrained eye though, Jesus failed. Yes. Just as Peter, Elijah, and Moses appeared to fail, Jesus seemed to be a failure too. And yet for us who have the eye of God, Jesus succeeded in the most extraordinary way. And there was Moses and Elijah talking it over with him. Glory to God. They saw their failures wrapped up in Jesus's. Peter would come in time to see the same thing. The failure that he had tried to hold our Lord back from, Peter would recognize as a victory. Peter would find hope in failure and life in death. God expects you to fail, but he also expects you to get back up again and do your best. But even if you keep falling, he will be there to catch you. In fact, in the words of Psalm 91, that Subdeacon Stephen so eloquently elaborated last week and which we've heard snippets of in the service, uh, in the morning prayer service today. If you will say, the Lord is my refuge and you take the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you 
in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So even if you can't keep your promises, God will keep his. He is faithful. He will always be there for you. God will stand by you and support you. Nay, he won't just support you, but as we just heard, he will even raise you up. He will send angels to lift you up in their hands. Even if you can't keep your promises, God will keep his. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.